0: This episode of the Ship Show is sponsored by PagerDuty. PagerDuty eliminates the noise, chaos, and manual processes across the entire incident lifecycle. PagerDuty helps you see by giving you visibility across your entire stack. Act so you can get the right person or team for each problem. Resolve the issue to fix problems before your customers even notice. Analyze to spot trends in the incidents to understand the stress on both your teams and your systems. And prevent incidents by making proactive fixes to reach your organization's uptime goals. PagerDuty is trusted by companies like Etsy, Nike, and GitHub. To sign up for a free 30-day trial, visit www.pagerduty.com.
1: One
2: in life. What is your one purpose in life? To ship, ship, of course.
0: course. Live from New York, it's Saturday. No, wait, it's the ship show. Featuring Seth Thomas at Cheese Plus. Eugene Saramella at Eugene Saramella. Pete Cheslock at Pete Cheslock and your host, Paul Reed, at Sober Building on Twitter. For episode uh, 45, we're going to be looking at DevOps in the heartland. We're going to take a look at DevOps Days Minneapolis. It was the first time it was held there. We're going to see what's happening in the Midwest with the DevOps-ness. But first up, tonight we want to talk a little bit uh, about diversity again. We did a program for ChefConf earlier
1: in the year where we had some tickets related to diversity. Do you remember that, Seth? Uh, Yeah, uh, you know, taking a page from uh, Kyle Kingsbury's diversity page that he has up, kind of setting aside a budget for sponsoring people from underprivileged groups in tech to go to conferences and just kind of like helping them either get tickets or also paying way for both hotels and airfare, travel, that kind of thing. So we did that for ChefConf and we've been very fortunate to work with some other conference Organizers and yeah, so we have some other conferences now to to offer to offer this for.
0: Yeah, um, it turns out we have a ton of conferences, so I'm going to list them all. Uh, FlowCon September 3rd and 4th in San Francisco, Velocity New York September 15th through the 17th, and then Puppet Conference San Francisco the 20th through the 24th. All of them uh, have been kind enough to offer diversity tickets. So you can go to theshipshow.com slash diversity. It has all of the email addresses. All you need to do is write a short little paragraph on why you want to go. There's a huge difference in all of those conferences and things that they cover. So send us an email. with uh, The email address will be, again, on the webpage, theshipshow.com slash diversity, but also the show notes, and tell us why you want to go to uh, one of these conferences. And now on to news and views. So our first item this evening... interesting article about Python bumping off Java as the top learning language. This is pretty interesting. Uh, Eight of the top ten computer science departments now use Python to teach coding.
1: I I kind of wish that was the case when I was going to school. Python would have been far more useful at the time. What did you learn? That's why I dropped out of CS. I, like, oh really? Yeah, like, like I did not want to learn Java. Um, uh, I had to learn C so. Yeah, I was, gonna no, say, like, I, I was a C plus C++ person, and that's why yeah. I dropped out of. No, C++. It, was, <laughs> so it was it was computer science at the University of Texas. This is actually interesting. This is actually what uh, Dijkstra wrote one of his awesome famous rants over. Um, was the University of Texas moving to languages like Java? And it was basically it was the age of training people to be framework builders. So like oh, right. everybody going to learn them some J two E. So we can have computer science turn into Java jobs not you know <laughs> not academics and teachers right. so- That's kind of was that kind of push at the time, and yeah, about six months of Java, and I hated myself, Um, and so I took Japanese instead. Um, That's that's actually that is exactly how it went. So um, so I I think it's I'm not sure I think Python's necessarily a better language, but it would have been far more useful for me personally and professionally um, if I had learned Python.
3: Yeah, and I would I would say like anything that like allows you to deliver value quicker, and like C++ is. And, you know, Paul, I know if you did C++, I mean, it's just, it's a pain to learn. It's not very user-friendly. And, you know. I, I
0: remember we, we
3: spent a whole
0: day on, because they made us write something so we could do, like, the shift, like, operator overloading with the shift thing. And to actually do that right, you have to learn all about, like, friend functions and all this other crap that, like, is not actually relevant to doing the thing. But if you don't know how it works, you're good, it's just going to blow up. So, Yeah. Interestingly enough, uh, the article says schools such as MIT and Berkeley have phased out Scheme in favor of Python. The thing I want to know is—is is it Python
3: 2x or 3x? Ah, that's actually a good question.
1: I, you know, that is, yeah, it depends. I was going to say it depends on when they start. I can't imagine they—they they jump on 3x just yet. Um, I, I know boy. when we were doing Java, we were always woefully behind. All <laughs> the recent
4: bad. MIT grads we have here are all Python 2X experts.
0: Seth, you didn't
1: accept the updates on the JDK and <laughs> when we you were, were learning. <laughs> it was one of those things, they're like, oh yeah, don't. by the way, don't use, you know, having been a like a system administrator as like, you know, part-time jobs, they're like, oh no, you can't use the, the latest one, so <laughs> they just expected you to not care, and yeah, it was, it was very awkward. I just didn't like, yeah, I didn't like how that was structured, but that was also, the University of in a, a transitionatory period. Right. They were going from, I think, it was like Pascal and some other functional languages to, to Java. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, next up, Steph, actually, I've been saving this article for you. It's a couple months old, but it's still interesting. The Naughty Dog story of bringing The Last of Us from uh, the PS3 to the PS4. A lot of us, I think, would think that uh, if you were porting a game, you just, you know, change that
1: you, you get your cross-compiler out and type make, right? Yeah, dude, they have magic compilers that just do that. Well, so this is actually really interesting because... So one of the reasons that Naughty Dog is is so well known is because they are. I mean, they're they're well known inside of not just inside of like video game circles, but inside of like Sony itself for being the best folks for PS3 games. Like yeah. no, there's there's no doubt. Just because, and they also work on uh, Naughty Dog has teams that do core tech that work with like Sony Computer Entertainment of America. I'm not sure if that that arrangement is still in place or whatever, but basically they they were doing like really cool core tech that would get shared with all of like Sony.
0: Yeah, yeah, um, no, they were they were talking about the the custom uh, optimizations they did for right. PS3s, SPUs, and it was funny because the creative director was like, we expected it to be hell, and it was hell, just getting an image on screen, even an inferior one with the shadows broken and the lighting broken and with it crashing every 30 seconds, that took a long time.
1: Well, yeah, because they're, they're going from something... I mean, they, could, they were eking so much out of the PS3, which is, you know, friggin' weird, esoteric cell nonsense. And, and but, old, yeah. What was old, but... In, also, in console terms. Well, in, old in console terms, but, I mean, the, the expertise that they had developed basically pushing this console to its limits was fantastic, but it was also not really transferable. Um, yeah. There's a reason that Naughty Dog didn't do cross-platform games you know, they were just Sony because right. they had to devote so much effort to just the one console. And so this kind of, like, shifting... to The PS4 development, by and large, is far much more sensible now, but yeah. you also lose all of those optimizations and hacks, and so their entire code base was right built, built on well, top of that.
0: The other interesting thing they talk about is they had to do a lot of, like, basically porting work on the engine, the, the, like the gaming engine and stuff, to get stuff going, but they said they did all of the gaming artifacts at high resolution, so mm-hmm. that actually wasn't that. They actually downscaled them for the PS3, so
1: you didn't have to redo that work. Yeah, most the- most of the time you don't have to redo. Uh, assets are actually typically the easy part. Yeah. You can do, usually when you do all of your assets and everything, you actually Bake those at really high resolutions, yeah, and then and scale them down. Scale them down depending on the console. You just you know have some quality settings that you tune, and then of course if you're if you're lucky enough to get a PC version, then you just leave all of the knobs inside the PC version, <laughs> right? That's, that's why you always have those like people are always surprised that you have those ultra high texture packs. the developers always have usually have all of that in there,
0: and that's um, why you can turn gravity off in Grand Theft Auto on the, for the PC. You got all kinds if of things. cars flying. <laughs> Which, at you. Yeah,
1: it's just it's just an it's It's a config. It's like an any file, and it's just like basically... Turn gravity off. Yeah, silly things like you'd imagine. (laughs) Um, So next up, Seth, you pointed this
0: uh, at us. Nix, the purely functional package manager. I've actually heard of this before, uh, and it's kind of interesting. It's like this sort of idempotent package
3: Thingy that has hashes and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I it hear hashes and stuff. I, <laughs> yeah, I hear good things about Nix on the Twitters from you know people whose opinion I really trust. You to run like, FreeBSD, Pete. Right. I think the key thing though is that <laughs> it's, it's the key like how to figure out if you really would like Nix. If you're a big Haskell fan, then <laughs> Nix is totally going to be your jam. Throw
0: so. out that RPM garbage. We should well, ask Jordan Sissel if he's if you can do like Nix packages for FPM. <laughs> So I mean, I like,
3: forecast, it'll happen.
1: <laughs> I like the idea. Um, I don't know if I'd use... It's just one of those things that, like, it's I can read about, and I'm like, okay, cool, get it, yes. Um, but I, it's one of those, we've, we've already adopted systems around this, yeah, or we've, we've, we've created our own band-aids, whether they be, you know, pinning things in environments and, sh- you know, we've, we've come to solutions or building Docker images, um, which kind of gives you a similar... I'm
0: disappointed in you, Seth. I, I, I thought you'd, you'd be, you know, you're hipster enough to, like, I have to have this on FreeBSD.
1: It's, it's neat. I in mean, my
0: Z-Shell. It must be called from Z-Shell or it can't work.
3: Wait, what's wrong with Z-Shell?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah well,
1: I just started with the Z-Shell. Like,
0: I'm not I know
4: you did. The wool. I, I'm
1: not, not dyed-in-the-wool Z-Shell yet. Like, I, I, I got to have to say, I probably am not going back. Um, but only because my my shell is much nicer than it ever has been with far less effort, which is super nice. Well, I hope you use
0: Nix to install it. <laughs> Don't hate. <laughs> and last up, tonight we have a post from Ed Finkler about a week ago, the developer's dystopian future. Wanted to bring this up. Uh, kind of reminded me of the DevOps is Killing the Developer post that was going on. That was kind of, there was drama in the Twitter sphere about that. Uh, did you guys see this post? It was kind of uh,
1: interesting. It resonated with me.
0: Yeah,
4: me too.
1: I so I got two feelings from that. One was the general kind of like, oh yeah, but I feel like that's the like after you've had a bad day, that's like the negative view of the world, mm-hmm. and it, it, it belies the fact that when you've chosen to work in this industry, this particular industry, when you know you're like, oh no, there's this new thing, and I have to learn it. Yes, that does suck. But that is also something that we're fairly well aware of. You know, I it's it's not. I don't I don't. I feel like it, it's it's naive to, th- to think I not that that's, that's not a. I don't think that's a his thing. point. No, I don't think that's his point. I get notes of it, and it's just like, yeah, I, I get the the things are complicated, and no, no,
0: no, no, I don't think that's his point. So, I, and I identify with this part of it. I think what he's saying is, you get to an age where you don't want to spend an entire week and learn a new new framework because you heard about it at the coffee bar down in Selma, and so you're going to spend time doing that. You just get to an age where you're like, yes, I've seen good programming languages, and I've seen bad programming languages, and I've seen good frameworks, and I've seen bad frameworks, and there are Things that I like, and I'm tired of arguing with every with every 20 year old that comes out of college saying Ruby's the best. That, and by the way, that was my personal experience. Was like I didn't see what Ruby brought to the table over Python. And to be fair, like back in the day, like Pearl was the thing. And I actually got why Python was, in my opinion, better than Perl. But the point is, you, I think, and that's what he's saying. He's like, uh, you and Andrew, you're like, ain't nobody got time to argue about that. C- I just don't care anymore and I'm not super excited about spending a bunch of time learning whatever weirdness people are talking about. And and that's his point at the end. He's like that he hopes he still has something to offer the industry, but he doesn't know what it'll be cuz maybe he won't be a developer. I really identify that.
5: Uh, it, I'll yeah. have
4: to I have to admit we adopted Node for some part of our web product and it was it was rough going at first and we waited or monkey patched a lot of stuff, I guess. It was was tough and I can totally see his point of view where it's like, look, I've got two little kids at Mm -hmm. home and I have a family I'm ignoring to unf*** your Node.js deployment because you haven't thought through some ramifications.
5: Exactly.
4: And it gets old really fast and yeah, right. to, to be honest like now we are in great shape like our node stuff is rock freaking solid but I'll tell you what I lost a lot of time and not just me like some of the mid 20 somethings here that work here that are brilliant like these guys are really really sharp they spent a lot of mental cycles because the the ramp up time to get something available was really short but to understand any sort of depth still going we are still digging Um, but yeah. we're, in, we're in good shape so I can totally understand his post where you're just like every person that's some hot shit at a keyboard comes up with some new idea or wants to embrace some new technology, and it to me in, in some degree it, it was a little bit of like that meme where it's like it worked on my machine, ops problem now. It was a little bit like that where it worked great in your single user mode you know tiny little data set and then once you threw it live it was like it didn't respond to all the requests that was required and fell over or crashed and then you had to figure out how to prop that thing up and you know, ultimately we got it working but there was a lot of nights lost to that and it seems like every couple of minutes there's a new one of these things cropping up and unless you have some season People like him or whatever. Then you know how to avoid these or deal with these things. But
1: right, well, yeah, so I'll like we... Part of building a good, both building a good team and having a good plan. Like to me, this this when when I read it, that's why it's like I get what he's getting at, but it just seems like you're complaining just generally about the nature of the work that we already do. It's well, it's, so it's, it's, not, it's not like the... it's not it's not like a clear. It's kind of a muddy kind of like examination of right. Oh, but so here's, oh, here's worm, the We've quoted this
0: before, and I'll put a link to the show notes again because I love this quote, this Alan Kay quote, where he says, "Well, I'm an old-fashioned guy and I also happen to believe in history, the lack of interest, the disdain for history is what makes computing not quite a field. And I think what he's pointing out is you get to an age where you've seen the industry make a shift from Python to Ruby to Node, and you're just like, I don't give a shit anymore. The industry is going to keep doing this because there's money to be made. And so the it, point is, it's hard to get excited about that when you've gone through three or four of those, and you'd rather spend time with your family or your friends.
4: I was having sort of a technical discussion with my friends today, and we were, we were not doesn't work at the current company that I'm at right now, but we're talking about this trend in the industry about microservices. And there's an Adrian Cockcroft presentation I should link to it, or we should talk about it at some point, where a particular company went from however many services they had to four hundred and fifty microservices in the course of six months. I was talking to my friend about this, and I'm like, dude, that smacks of some sort of like that has a code smell to it. And uh, he was saying, yeah, and right now microservices are sort of the trend in the industry, but pretty soon it will be the reactive manifesto. Like, that is the next thing. Like, there will constantly be these shifts into, like, at some point, everyone that's in the tech industry has to sort of keep abreast to these changes and and keep current. But at some point, it's like, you look at those 450 microservices and go, like, they went too far off the deep end and yep. maybe something that's that, for like a commerce app that seems like overkill.
3: So yeah, it's crazy because like I actually read that article a little bit different and I, I maybe I read it mainly because like my history is so weird and like I've done a ton of different jobs where it's like network administrator, system administrator, but then like, you know, pre-sales person where you like you talk with customers, but you also like write code to make the customer stuff work and... like kind of all over the place and he wrote that blog post kind of talking about like new stuff that he had to build and he was like you know oh like this DevOps thing like AWS is so hard to get some systems built or whatever it's kind of like well in 2009 like I never used Amazon I never heard of Git or Chef it was like these are all things that were just like popping up and you just kind of like dive in and figure it out and you feel weird when you do it and you know it's like you're starting all over again but you know you kind of get in your stride right you kind of get in your stride and get things going but when it comes to all these like new buzzwords and the microservices one is definitely out there in containers and stuff. There's two jokes. It's like one is, well, everything old is new again. But the other one that I always think is interesting is that like right now, when we think about like microservices, and and I think you're spot on when you're saying like 450. That's that, that's a code smell. Like in my head, I feel the exact same way. But like five years from now, I bet we'll look back and be like, oh yeah, that was like tip of the iceberg. Like we like <laughs> how much more we'll learn in five years about the whole aspect of that world. That it'll you know it's just, it's kind of crazy to to sit back and watch sometimes like the just just kind of watch the market happen sometimes. <laughs> yeah.
0: So we'll leave listeners with that. What do you think uh, is the future for the developer going to be dystopian
3: send us a tweet
0: at ship show podcast and we'll be back in a moment talking about devops days minneapolis here on the ship show Welcome back to the SHIP Show, I'm your host Paul So we are, we are live from DevOps Days, Minneapolis with a cornucopia of various people that were involved with the conference, why don't we go around the room and introduce yourself.
2: My name is Bridget Cromhout and I'm an operations engineer soon to be at Drama Fever and um, I am uh, the chief cook and bottle washer for DevOps Days, Minneapolis. <laughs> <laughs>
5: I'm Patrick Duois, and I got a badge that says DevOps wildcard, so (laughs) it's basically anything DevOps. Jack of all trades, yes.
6: I'm Catherine Daniels, I'm an operations engineer at a company called Game Changer in New York.
7: Ross Clanton, Uh, my title is actually senior group manager, middle management. Um, in an IT operations role at Target.
8: I'm Heather O'Sullivan. I lead an API and integration team at Target.
0: Great, so the thing I actually wanted to start with is DevOps Days Silicon Valley just finished up. DevOps Days New York is coming up. DevOps Days Austin was earlier in the year. And we think of those cities as like tech cities, but we don't often think of Minneapolis as a tech city. But visiting and seeing the people they attend us, that's that's a wrong perception, isn't it?
2: I think definitely you're right. I mean, I think a Heather and Ross should probably address, you know, the giant enterprise side of tech in the city. So I've been working at a small startup here for a couple of years, though I am now about to be remoting to a startup in New York. But they're not going to get me to move out of Minneapolis. We have a wonderful tech community and everything else here. But I think it would be interesting to hear what some of the giant side of, of tech in the cities is like from your perspective.
8: Yeah, there's definitely a lot of big enterprise IT shops in the Twin Cities area. Obviously, Target is one of them. We have a fantastic tech community there within Target, and I, I know at other companies, they do as well, but I'm especially proud of Target. <laughs> <laughs> um, in fact, we're starting to use the term a lot, and I think you'll hear it more in the community of Silicon Prairie in the, in the <laughs> Twin yeah, Cities here. Yeah, you
0: mentioned that, I have heard, heard of that. There's, there's Silicon Valley, Silicon Alley, and now Silicon Prairie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
5: but, but Paul, why do you say that? Because DevOps isn't about a tool, so why is it important for a tech community?
0: Well, so the reason I asked the question is because we introduced this episode we were talking about, I uh, actually gave it the title, which might be funny DevOps in the Heartland, right? And so it makes sense, <laughs> It makes sense that, that uh, it would be held in cities where people think that there's a lot of tech. And in fact, I just didn't know that Minneapolis actually has had a tech scene and has been a center uh, with really big, complex industries and businesses that have big IT shops and have real business problems they need to solve um, and have huge tech staffing. Um, how many Target people were here? Something like 50,
7: close to fifty
0: people. Yeah, yeah, 50 yeah. So I just didn't know. You know, you wouldn't you wouldn't hold you know a conference for like getting together and and uh, having beach time in Antarctica, right? You just wouldn't do, right? So it was just it was just for me. It was it was the realization that yes, there's actually that community here, and I, I, that's the other thing I want to ask you, Bridget. How did that come about? I know Donnie was involved too. Uh, Donnie Burkholz and and he, we, I see him at a lot of conferences. Where did that conversation start about, you know what, we, we're good enough too, we'll have one here, we'll get everyone to come here.
2: Well, you know, it's funny you should ask, because we talked about that a little bit earlier today. Uh, at the opening of the day, Michael Ducey um, from Chef, who is actually out of Columbus, Ohio, but still in the, in the Midwest, actually had a slide that I thought was really interesting, because it was the size of DevOps meetups in the U.S., and Minneapolis has one of the largest DevOps meetups, meetup groups on Meetup.com in the U.S.
0: So it came out so of actually the meetup it came group, out of the yeah. Meetup group. Okay.
2: And a number of us um, last winter at the meetup group, we were at a casual social mixer that I had walked to, and um, I think it was I walked there through you know the, the snow in February because it's <laughs> Minneapolis. And um, Ducey was saying, wouldn't it be great if we had DevOps Days in Minneapolis? And I said. I can do that." (laughs) Get it done. And you did it. And you did it. I wanted to add something to your comment about, you know, we're in the heartland. It's people. a flyover country. People don't realize that there's tech here. Uh, Catherine tweeted that it was really quite refreshing to go to a tech conference and have it only be a two hour flight from New York. And yes, there is something to be said about being in the middle of the country, in what is a reasonably sized airport that has direct flights to a lot of places. And have your conference there because it's a much shorter flight for people
6: than if you have to go to the other coast. Mm-hmm. The West Coast is really far away. Yeah,
0: Who knew? well, yeah, it's one of those things where it's like if it's on the coast, then somebody feels bad. I mean, I'm I'm lucky to live in SF, and there's just a lot of conferences there. So it's mm-hmm. like I, you know, but for people that do have to travel, it's one of those things. Like the the good side is that, and the downside is everybody is is equally pained. Although I was t- chatting with Sasha because I was like, oh, you know, you going back to the hotel? She's like, what are you talking about? let <laughs> um, to go home to her cat. <laughs> I know, I know. And she was very happy about that. In fact, I think she's she's uh, recovering from getting her presentation all... all. In fact, I wanted to talk about that. So Sasha did the keynote. It was what Magic Pixie Dust not included. I thought it was a great talk. What did you guys think of it?
7: I loved it. It tied a lot to our talk. And we Sasha, I saw her in the... Uh in the lobby probably an hour after that talk but before ours and i was like oh this is great because we're going to actually be able to tie a lot of the stuff in the target talk back to what she kind of kicked off the event with so yeah yeah i
0: it, it's interesting um you know because she's she's been active in this space for a long time and the thing i liked about her talk was she talked a lot about you know we talk about devops transformations and journeys but it was really her personal journey in all of the different environments that she had been in and worked in and um i think that was one thing I was thinking about. I was actually thinking about this from a logistics standpoint. Minneapolis kind of, you were asking about the Silicon Valley postmortem for the group about how to run the event. But also, I think, you know, and Patrick, I'd be curious what you think about this. I think the types of conversations that are happening here and that have happened here and the talks that we've had have been, I mean, they've had the benefit of being seated from other talks. And so we get to see those stories that we wouldn't, we, we're not having the what is DevOps necessarily right it's it's this is what it is and if you don't know what it is you can go look it up or look at the other DevOps days videos but then there's some interesting highlighter context that that is still useful but it's it's new and fresh like yeah. with Sasha's journey yeah
5: oh yeah. uh, well, it's interesting I, I think she opened with the fact that she was talking to Michael Nygaard and I happened to be at the time when she was talking to him. so it's really interesting <laughs> to see how like so you get to see how the kids grow up right. <laughs> so, yeah like and, and that's what I really Liked is the honest explanation of her journey, so she wasn't like putting up like a, a facade yeah. to, to show and like how great she is as a consultant. That please hire me, right? So she, she, she's passed in a way that time, like hey, I want to like do good things, and whatever happens is, is okay for me. Yeah, it also showed me the struggle that she's having, and obviously, I see many have it. Okay, it means so many things like all people talk about it like, and that, that feeling like, well, what, what are we losing? What have we gained? So that was really also an interesting observation.
0: Yeah, she, the, I think a big part of her presentation or one of the big takeaways is, is she kind of banged this drum on stop doing the you're doing it wrong or it means these things. She I think explained about it, like she's taken DevOps off of her LinkedIn profiles and stuff sort of as an experiment to kind of just see what happens, but <laughs> she is identifying with DevOps and, and the whole thing in a different way, but she was very clear about not being a jerk and exclusionary about that, and I really like that. She she had that bit about the Windows, <laughs> yeah. you know, like the Windows people are okay too. Yeah, the, the stuff know. that she said
6: about inclusiveness really resonated with me because I think tech can be kind of an echo chamber, not in the way that you know we're all talking about the same things, but in that it's it's homogenous, and those of us who are minorities in in the, in the space can, can tend to feel you know left out, whether we're women in tech or we're Windows users, and. So so I thought that bringing that up and making us aware of it was really good.
0: Yeah, it's. I was just thinking about that from the standpoint that you do see treatment of the topic is generally like women, minorities, underrepresented in general people in tech. But it actually, Windows is not underrepresented <laughs> in tech. But we still there's still a lot of that. Well, you can't you can't do DevOps on Windows. In fact, we had a an episode, a couple uh, episodes about that with Stephen Moroski about that exact topic. So it was nice because I think that's a, that can be a blind spot a lot of times, and to see. Herbie, like, stop being a jerk. About that was very Mm -hmm. refreshing. Um, I want to talk about the Target talk. Uh, That was enlightening from a number of levels, I think. Talking about your journey both... From your teams, yourselves, the -hmm. the company was a a really valuable story.
8: Yeah, it's been a great journey that we've been on. started about two years or so ago um, with my kind of small dev team kind of paving the way and laying some of the groundwork Mm -hmm. to, I mean, now we have 50 people that are at a DevOps days in Minneapolis, right? So it's been a great journey and a really good story to tell.
7: Yeah, it's been exciting to see it start to take off across our organization i mean we've got a large you know our i.t organization is measured in thousands so it's a lot of people to work something across like that
0: and we talk a lot about cultural change we were talking about trying to define that and talk about what that was but that conversation aside if you talk about that change it takes a long time to get people on board and you have to you know there's a lot of like hand holding sometimes and people are used to the workflows and and the methods Mm -hmm. that you're using how have you dealt with some of those challenges because it is such a big DevOps at scale or something, you know. Should we shut off the mic? <laughs>
7: <laughs> you know, it's, it's uh, probably a multi-pronged approach, I guess. There's a lot of, especially I would say engineers, there, there's a lot of engineers that have
0: been hungry for this and, and we're seeing more and more of them internally quick question about that when you say that engineers are hungry for it, do you find that they are calling it devops and they interact with it in their mind as a concept that way or is it like hey i see I, you know i can spin up a vm on amazon netflix is talking about that i want that yeah and they don't know how to get that is that which it, yeah do they know Wh- I,
7: you know i think there's actually an interesting story from two years ago when you were starting where actually Dan, kind of on your team was trying to show people how easy some of this stuff is on, on Amazon. And that was, at that time, He's going and sharing with other IT groups. Like, look at how fast some of this stuff's getting spun up on, on Amazon. We, we've got to start figuring out how we're going to do more of this internally. That was an early starting point of where a lot of these conversations started to go. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of our conversations maybe started more around tools. Um, mm-hmm. We were bringing in a certain tool chain, and people were getting focused on that, and there was a lot of energy starting to build some positive energy and some people that were fighting against it because it was very different than what our incumbent tools were.
0: When it sounds like that, that was a good way to get some traction
7: because tools are concrete, and you can um, talk about that those i think where we really got moving more though is when we started to focus more on culture
8: yeah i mean i the three things that i focused on in the early days with my team and i think this is what we've seen broadly as yeah. we start to get adoption is team culture technology and all three of those things are equally as important
6: mm-hmm.
0: right you had a slide i really liked about the, the the hipster that wants to live with unicorns and rainbows and how you the, got you got called that i think the yeah it was um
8: because it was complete, like the concepts were just so completely foreign in a big IT shop, right? Mm-hmm. It just mm-hmm. it was completely different than how we had been doing work mm-hmm. across our different silos, you know, to just do technology work.
0: Yeah, you were saying that's really that, that was funny and weird for you because that's not something you would think ever think somebody would think to call you. Who, yeah, like, who's <laughs> gonna be called? <laughs> <laughs> a hippie
8: that wants to live with that? Like
0: like Unicorns Francisco, and rainbows. Exactly. Like, what?
5: What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not, yeah. Can I ask a question? Are you guys did the DevOps days internally. Can you elaborate on that a little
7: bit? On how yeah. helped, or yeah. Um, so you know, I've been a, a passionate researcher on DevOps, and sometime last year, I, I forwarded. Heather DevOps Weekly That's a really good collection of articles every week and she got better at watching it than I did because she saw an article one day around a company that was doing an internal DevOps days and Heather and I you know she she's a dev leader at Target she has a dev team I have a team that's more in our operations organization and we'd already kind of had a goal that we want to get these closer alignment between our organizations and so we talked about this, and we we're like, wow, wouldn't it be cool to try doing our own DevOps days? And so we, we did. We put our first one together. We didn't, we had no, we didn't know if five people were going to show up. We didn't know if 20 people were going to show up. We didn't know. But we figured, let's try it and see what happens. And uh, we actually had 160 people show up, which was really, really awesome. And we'd only done it in Minneapolis, even though we have a large organization in, in Bangalore, India as well. And there's so much energy coming out of our Bangalore organization that they wanted to be involved, more involved as well that our second one ended up being a global event where we had a DevOps Days same day in Bangalore and in Minneapolis.
0: I, I thought that was a, when you pointed that out—that it was crossed. You know, it's not just just the large size of the IT organization; it's mm-hmm. actually co-located in different places, yeah. which I'm sure makes things more difficult. You have to think about how you roll things out, and and yeah. those cultural things can actually—they take on a component of actual culture too, because they're in a different environment yeah. and and are you know have different contexts for a lot of things. Yeah. yeah,
7: but I do think for us internally. That was a that to me that was has been a big turning point because it's allowing us to build that a bigger community within Target. Yep. and a lot of the people that are showing up to DevOps days aren't part of our organizations or are other right. folks um, we've had senior management there we've had you know entry level engineers and analysts and pm showing up It's really been great to see the mix of job families I guess of people that are showing up and, and levels of people that are showing up to see what's going on
8: yeah, I agree it's been Like as I reflect on the last couple of years, that to me will remain like a big pivot in the overall journey and story of DevOps at Target. That first takes it's almost. We had stopped using the term DevOps because of the misperceptions around it across the organization. Mm -hmm. Um, So probably for a good year and a half, we weren't even using that term until we we did this DevOps days and we were like, you know what, we're bringing the term back. We're Mm going to start using it again because post post DevOps, post (laughs) post DevOps. That's right. (laughs) Well,
7: what I think what we realize is the people that you know invest in this and understand it and care about it. The term is meaningful to them, and it's almost a disservice not to call it devops.
0: Well, it's funny you mention that because you're saying that devops stays at target which kind of goes back to that ownership that Sasha was talking about mm-hmm. like <laughs> what kind of devops is right for you, right? Mm-hmm. And it allows you to sort of personalize it and contextualize it within your own organization so that it's not just because there there's I think a danger of Netflix does it so we got to do it, right? Mm-hmm. That's or that's the way Netflix does it, so that's mm-hmm. the way we are at That's yeah. what you know. Um, so so yeah, that's that's interesting that you. Were I would say to.
7: with the enterprise in in kind of the traditional big company enterprise context. So like Target, one challenge I would say though is is people traditionally haven't been wanting to look at what Netflix and Etsy and the unicorns. I know people can't see my double quote right now, but <laughs> your air quotes. Um, <laughs> what they're doing and people historically haven't really been. And I won't say this for everyone, but there's been a lot of cases where people internally weren't as open to looking at the innovations that were happening there because the thought is they're different. Right. They're different. That's places. them. It's a that's different not business. Us. We're right. traditional. We've built technology right. debt over years.
0: And and also, like, of course, they can do that because they are five years old and we're yeah. you know, right.
8: 30 yeah. years old. They don't have anything, this yeah. huge technology footprint that's grown over 50 yeah. years and right. has you yeah, know, the I technology debt that comes with I,
6: it. I was really inspired by what you guys have done because I. I started out the first four years of my career I was at Hewlett Packard and I wasn't in operations then but it was there was a sense of I can't change anything because you know this is a company that has been around for so long and that's the way that things are there wasn't a lot of the I mean like my company right now we Look at all the other companies and try and figure out you know what can we learn from them. Mm-hmm. Whereas at HP, it felt a lot like okay, we just look inside yeah. the company.
0: Yeah, I see that. Uh, I wanted to bring up uh, Ben is not here, but I really enjoyed Ben Hughes from Etsy, his talk on security. And again, uh, I don't think I have, this I think is the first security talk I've seen. At a DevOps days, I, and I haven't been to all the DevOps days. Yeah, That's why yeah, I'm looking at Patrick. Given it at
5: London. Uh, there's been a talk on rugged DevOps, which is also security. Yeah. Uh, auditing has come up, so it, I'm sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> it's not the. No, point. no, no, no. But it's been like uh, in there, like occasionally it pops up, like the we're, Sec DevOps or kind yeah, of no, and and, and I no, I just love yeah. that word. Like Jim Kim comes from security tripwire, so he's like really like yeah but, uh, so uh,
0: I like Ben's uh, talk because it was very detail heavy uh, I think one of my biggest takeaways was he was like you're not you're not going to protect yourself so you yeah. need to like uh, what did he say like uh, log and contain or uh, tackle it from that angle so you know it was a learning
5: yeah, presentation value, for me the value yeah. was that he has gone through the whole journey right and that's really powerful because you know we've talked about insight here at the conference but right. you know, it is interesting that you can do that and, uh, and then that they want to share their finance.
0: right? Right, and I tweeted, uh, and this got a lot of retweets, which was not expected, but it was interesting that it resonated with people. I quoted him saying, "The second you have a security team who yells, you no longer have a security team because people will actively go mm-hmm. around them." There's a message I think for that in DevOps tools teams too, right? Where it's like you must use Chef and you, you know, like or Puppet or whatever it is, right? It's the second you take on that sort of attitude interacting with the organization, they will actively try to circumvent what you've been hired to do. Uh,
6: people you, have stuff to get done and when you you know try and force them into doing something that, that blocks that they're gonna go around it right. because... Humans are <laughs> hey, have cognition,
0: they can figure that out, <laughs> yeah. right? They'll, they'll
2: treat you as damage and around you. Exactly, exactly. I'm actually struck by what Catherine said about inclusiveness and whatnot. When you mentioned Windows users as a minority, I mean of course we all laugh at that, but it's actually true that sometimes people are a visible minority sometimes they're an invisible minority, trying to be included. Sometimes everyone might look like everyone around them, but they're still the protagonist of their own individual story, having their own experiences, having their own day that is different from everyone else's around them. I think it's really important that we have the kind of conversations here that we've been having where everyone can bring in their perspectives. And there are a lot of different perspectives here. I was really happy to see that I talked about this event pretty much nonstop to everyone I encountered at every social and work event for the last, I don't know, three months. And there were a lot of people, faces I recognized here, people I worked with at the university, other former co-workers, acquaintances from the cycling community who are software developers who didn't think that DevOps was for them because they don't do operations. and. Talking to people and getting them to be engaged in coming and joining in these conversations and finding out that it is for them because, with that whole law of open space, not only do you vote with your feet, but also the right people are the ones who show up.
0: Right. So,
2: mm-hmm. I was really happy to see that. We had a lot of different people show mm-hmm. up, and I'm not just talking about how some of us, a visible minority of us, had pink hair. <laughs> and I think maybe, you know, we may have had as many African-American women here as people with pink hair, I noticed, which was fantastic. <laughs> I, I, yeah, so
0: it's funny. I was going to say, I noticed that in the Ignites that there were a couple of African-American women giving them, and it was interesting to me because, like, a lot of other DevOps days, yeah. you don't see that. And the other thing is, is that the Ignites they were giving were actually like on web performance stuff. So it was it was still a relevant topic, but it's actually was it's not one of the standard ignites that ignites are usually either on very DevOpsy topics or they're on things like O C D or, or something culture related, which Seth Fargo did his O C D Ignite, which is a great one if you haven't seen it. But their ignites were looking at the elephant in a different way and that was profession.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um having Nivia Henry and Jasmine Russell speaking here was actually fantastic because coming from an agile scrum management perspective and coming from a digital analytics perspective, our, some of those whole, I don't know, what was that, sec web dev hypervisor? Yeah. Farmy, farm farmer.
0: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we have,
2: having extra perspectives like that in our DevOps environment is super valuable. And you might say that the people in analytics who go to DevOps meetups are in a minority. And that's true. And there are possibly other things about people that make them a minority, but everyone having something that they're bringing to the table and having their voice heard is awesome. And then it's also really great that we actually had approximately 25% of the attendees were women, which was, you know, I would be happier with 51%, but (laughs) (laughs) 25% is a great place to start. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And it probably is. I'm just trying to think back at some of the other DevOps days, I've been out for first DevOps days out of the gate, that's huge. So, you were saying that you did a lot of kind of outreach with DevOps Days to make that happen, so thank you.
2: Yeah, well, I I actually went personally to a number of local meetups, and um, some of our sponsors who were unable to use all of their tickets because they only send so many people. Not every sponsor is lucky enough to be local like Target, so not only do they use their six gold ticket sponsors in a New York minute, but they also, (laughs) or Minneapolis minute, shall we say, um, but they also buy 50 more. But then there are other sponsors. Uh, among them, Puppet Labs, PagerDuty, GitHub, and Etsy, as well as Chef, did not use all of the tickets that came with their sponsors package. And I, I went to um, local meetups and talked to Pi Ladies, Girl Develop It, et cetera. And we also have our Girls in Tech and TCP Cats and got members of the meetups to take the tickets that the sponsors couldn't use anymore. Come and join
0: us. That's really good, uh, Catherine. I wanted to talk about your presentation. DevOps is dead.
6: Long live DevOps.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
6: yeah. So, kind of where I was coming from was the idea that DevOps, like so many people, the, the day before me said that it's it's a term that's been used so much that people are starting abused. to avoid it. Used, mm-hmm. abused, misused. Yeah. Yes. People stop using it, or it's just a meaningless buzzword. I was asked to. This, this was actually a shorter version of a talk that I gave at Berlin Buzzwords in May. When they approached me about that, they said, we've never had somebody talk about DevOps at our conference. Would you like to? And my internal thought was, Oh, DevOps again? Do I have to? <laughs> because, you know, like like Sasha did, I took the word DevOps off my LinkedIn and it cut down on recruiter spam by probably like 80 or 90%. It wow. was Yeah. I have to get on that level. <laughs> which, <laughs> really,
0: which really shows you that it's keywords. It right? re- they're yeah. not really reading the... Oh, yeah. Oh.
2: Well, they're, they're clearly not reading because they send me emails that say, Dear Bridget, you look like a guy who understands a lot of the technology stack. <laughs> and I write back to them wow. and say... Dear recruiter, you might want to refine this Dear pitch recruiter. a little. Dear recruiter, you're an You might want to refine this pitch a little because if you're trying to get somebody to work with you, starting by pissing them off is probably not a great first move. Yeah. yeah,
6: yeah. Well, kind of on that note, uh, we were talking in one of the open spaces earlier about instead of just saying here's what not to do, say okay, what you know, how should marketing people address DevOps instead? And I had this idea that like a future talk or a blog post. Okay, so we hate recruiters who just do keyword searches. How should people look for, quote unquote, DevOps people instead? You know, try try and point people in the right direction. How would we like recruiters to approach us? I thought that would be an interesting thing that I at least I haven't seen addressed so far yet.
0: We did an episode with a recruiter where we were asking some of those questions. Yeah, but you know, the thing was is that it was a great episode and I don't remember the number, but uh, it'll be in the show notes, I'm sure. But the thing that was interesting about him is that the structure of the way he does recruiting was different. So it's not it's not a situation where I, I think a large part of that problem is a lot of recruiters are paid to make the hire. And, and if they make the hire, then they get the money. Mm-hmm. So they act that way because it's cast a wide net. You know, uh, I think he called it spray and pray on you know, <laughs> LinkedIn. Um, and so he was talking about that, and it, it, you know, I think that's actually a really good thing to start thinking about. But it's also one of those kind of wicked problems because the structure in the system is hmm. defined to incentivize yeah. bad yeah, behavior. It's it's incentive problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I wanted back to your presentation. We heard the term post DevOps kind of come up in a, it, you know, uh, I think. It's, this is after Sasha's presentation. She just blurted out real loud in the way that not only Sasha can do—hipster uh, definitions, right? You know that whole thing. And it was—it was a it got a great laugh. It was a funny joke, but there's a bit of concern about because hipster sort of it it has a negative pejorative context and so but but there was a point about like have we have certain people moved on have you know companies like target that are bigger that are still on that journey and still like figuring what that means for them is are we leaving people who need that behind people organizations Mm -hmm. are we leaving them behind like that was a palpable and and uh, repeated conversation that i heard in presentations open spaces hallway track Mm -hmm. what do you all think of that that idea of dead devops post devops
6: <laughs> i mean one of the things that that i said in my talk was you know that i didn't like people calling teams devops teams or people calling themselves i'm a DevOps." and uh we're, patrick as we're a verb yes <laughs> devop together
0: <laughs> <laughs> let's Whatever. all
6: DevOps. let's yeah. rub some devops on it <laughs> <Yeah>. sprinkle <laughs> yes magical magical <laughs> glitter bomb with DevOps. yes yeah. <laughs> and uh patrick came up to me afterwards and he said well what do you think about like DevOps teams being a transitional state as companies go from siloed organizations to whatever the future is. And I thought that that was really interesting because DevOps started, you know, the old way of doing things wasn't working. And this was a way to start a conversation about what problems there were and try and address them. Now maybe that we've gotten that conversation really started, you know, it's had five years to kind of develop. Maybe we can move on to whatever the next phase or and ends up being. You know, there's obviously some problems with, you know, like we were talking about the recruiters. How do we then move on and continue to iterate and solve those problems? Because obviously DevOps is not some perfect magical thing that's going to solve everything. It is just another iteration of how we do things.
0: So it's interesting that you kind of conceive of it that way in terms of like DevOps kind of like training wheels, right? And that's the idea. is so once you learn to ride the bike, you can take the DevOps team <laughs> And not get rid of them, but redistribute them evenly where they would naturally fall in in a, in a model that it had you just built your organization that way. If you had the luxury of building your organization two years ago, you could yeah. you would be able to do.
8: Yeah. We've talked about like the idea of building some of a like centralized DevOps team within target, like that will come up every once in a while in yeah. conversations. And we're like, no, like, no, that's not the right way to go about approaching it. It's because it's more about the culture and building a community around it versus mm-hmm. saying, you know, if I build a, if I build a team, well then magically, you know, we'll, we'll make all sorts of great progress. And, that's and I think
7: how you, for us, the things that you have to drive, you have to drive throughout your organization. Yeah. And I think there can be a close relationship between how you model a team, how you model an organization, that the, what you expect for the skill sets to be, and the movement of DevOps and the culture of DevOps. So I think it can be hard for people to separate that sometimes. Mm-hmm. But to me, it, it's always been—it's been really fundamentally about the, the culture and the way of working that you're trying to drive across your organization. And when you have a big organization like we do, like Target does. The best way to do that isn't going to be to create a central team that's going to do all this stuff because now you have all these other employees that aren't going to be doing
0: that. Right, and you're not kind of getting them into the process so they can learn it for themselves and, yeah. and experience it.
7: One thing, and and I know Nordstrom's talked about this at ChefConf as well. You know, I know what they're they're kind of working towards re-embedding folks more into different product or project teams so they can start to spread spread the love a little bit. I know with with my team within Target, uh, you know, I've built an automation services team that lives and breathes this culture and has focused on building the skills that we need around the tool chain, et cetera, as well. But we're really focused right now and and it's been a little bit foreign organizationally, but people are getting more used to it. Like organizationally, like you own something, you do that thing. And what we're saying is, well, yeah, we're, we're, we're doing automation, but we're more focused actually on embedding and in helping you figure out how to do automation in your space and let's get you up to speed and let's get you to see how we're, the way that we're working to get that done, not just the fact that we're doing the automation, but how we're doing it in a much more empowered way, how the teams are working together, how they're collaborating. And that's starting to take off more, which has been really exciting. It's been really fulfilling for the team as well.
0: I've started, Lucis, John Vincent on Twitter, um, has a blog post that I've started referencing more just because I like it and I have noticed that it not always but can be an issue and it, the post was about what is DevOps and his answer was it's giving a sh- about your job mm-hmm. and it's giving a sh- about other people's jobs in mm-hmm. your organization mm-hmm. and he, he, oh, I have oh, that part. yeah <laughs> only only uh, John Vincent can get away with saying it that way but but I do I, you know I, I think we've all seen uh, situations or, or met people uh, in organizations where they're like I'm the admin, and it's it's not that they're bad or, or anything but it's like I this is the job that I do and as long as i do my thing then other people can build on top of my thing and that's fine but i don't care what they're doing yeah. right and and making that point very blatant like no you have to give it about mm-hmm. what those people are doing because mm-hmm. um, maybe you're doing something that's actually not, you know, you, you're you doing it to the spec that was agreed upon mm-hmm. two years ago, but that changed, Right. you know, a month after you wrote it uh, right. and agreed to it. So yeah, I, I think that's a, you know, it, 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 it's not an all-encompassing answer of what is DevOps, but mm-hmm. it's certainly, I think, a component of that. And that yeah. can be p- part of the hardest sort of transitional stuff. Yeah, I wanted to point out, I, I think it's interesting. So I have seen especially in larger organizations the do a DevOps team. And I used to be like, uh, 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 Mm -hmm. no. But my thinking has been a little modified uh, on that from DevOps days Minneapolis, because taking in the model, and and so what I find it interesting Mm -hmm. is that you, you in, in Targets transformation and journey have resisted that outright and it's been fine and it's it's been working. Um but for other companies they may actually need to do that. But then the concern and I Catherine you were like shaking your head too it's like the concern is that team will just add to the silo and it'll never you know it'll just be yet another silo as opposed to doing it's magic to get and it will be ephemeral and eventually go away.
6: Yeah, I've seen places where there was an ops team and a dev team and a DevOps team, and the ops team did not talk directly to the dev team. <laughs> Communication went through the right. DevOps team. I'm like, this is so broken. No, no. Awesome. no. So I love dev that ops slide. Team, the DevOps team was a named pipe. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah, it was <laughs> in slash dev slash ops. <laughs> oh. <See>? Uh.
6: <laughs>
0: but yeah, it sounds like though what you it either approached can be successful, but it's what you said, you actually need the management support. Like if you try at, at a lower level to hire a DevOps team and, and make them a separate thing and you think you're gonna solve it that way, but there's not a vision at the at the higher kind of executive level that to change the way we work, We actually want to get rid of that and integrate it. It's the training wheels. We will take them off. Mm -hmm. Then you're just going to have a bike with like five sets of training wheels because you never took any of the training wheels off, right?
7: Yeah. And that is a real risk, and especially in a large organization. Yeah.
2: I'm actually really impressed that Target had so many people here. and had so many people engaged in conversation with the community outside Target just because... Of course, the DevOps movement inside Target is large enough that you have your own internal DevOps days with talks with external speakers. Mm-hmm. But I think there is a temptation sometimes in large companies, because you're so large, you have an entire ecosystem to always look inward, like Catherine mm-hmm. was referring to, and only talk about the insert large company name here way. But mm-hmm. even if you have a great way inside and you don't even feel like you need the input. But you probably do need the input from the external anyway. Mm -hmm. And also, bringing all those ideas out into the wider community is awesome and really helpful. That cross-pollination of ideas is great. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: I had a mentor of mine tell me that you should go on an interview every two years, even if you're not, mm-hmm. if you're yeah. not looking at yeah. at leaving. For exactly that, you want to know what the market is doing in terms of hiring. You want to know what other companies are doing, and you want to not let those interview skills get rusty. So it sounds like the same sort of like mm-hmm. that external kind of shock of mm-hmm. ideas and whatever can be, you know, re- refreshing. Mm-hmm. First
6: DevOps days I went to in New York, uh, I think two years ago, they had a mantra of always be interviewing. (laughs) (laughs) Just,
8: you know, keep, like you said, keep up those skills. Right. Yeah, I think engaging in the, the community outside of our IT organization has been I think really empowering for a lot of the folks on our teams, but then equally important mm-hmm. for folks in leadership positions to get out as well, because there is such a big temptation to just remain kind of inward, yeah. inward looking when you're in such a large, yeah. such but a the, large...
7: but the team wants that. I mean, yeah. they, they want to be able to share what they're doing. They want to be able to contribute. So it's great. And Heather, actually, and her, her and her team have, have probably helped lead the way in making this more possible for other teams even like mine to be able to do more stuff like that. So it's been really good.
0: And it always helps with, I mean, we saw that, we see this at every DevOps Days in the last year, but this one was no exception. It probably helps with hiring Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) because you can actually have real conversations uh, with people that are looking at the booths and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Hiring and retaining. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So Patrick, uh, your closing keynote was DevOps Days five years in. Why don't you talk a little bit about that and some of the insights.
5: Well, um, it's interesting that you can listen into the whole conversation if you're at the closing keynote. And so, one of the things that struck me is that this, uh, there's this repetition of mantra. And, like, we know after five years, you know, the hype cycle that was talked about. And, like, I, I wanted to learn and see what was happening in a perspective of history. And, and I started reading philosophy. And then, it, it always, like, when I read that, all these topics that we bring up, they have been going on in history forever and forever. And uh, like every time in history, somebody said, this is the idea. This is the idea, and we just keep moving on. Mm-hmm. And I started thinking like, hey, I should start challenging people on their IDs. Even though I might have agreed with you yesterday, I'm just like doing the reverse and kind of put that. So that's kind of the intent I had. Finally, this morning, just before the keynote, <laughs> this <laughs> is my intent, and I like changed a few slides, and then that popped in.
0: So So I know that we, you did an open space the day before on what the learnings and takeaways were for the next thing, next movement. Mm -hmm. What were some of your takeaways from that? From like, what can we tell the next thought leader and, you know, (laughs) spawner of the movement of whatever that is?
5: I think if you, you have no ties that string you to that movement, it's easier to kind of see what happens. And so you're not stubbornly trying to keep on to it like uh, uh, something permanent then the fact that it will happen and that they can take peace with themselves because it's just evolution and the next game come around but it will never be forgotten.
0: Well yeah we were talking about the fact that like when it gets taken over that that five to seven year cycle where it sort of gets taken over by marketing. It's interesting to hear you say like you're like it sounds like you're saying, eh, like I can let that go as opposed to no DevOps must be this and it must be this and it can't be that.
5: Well, one of the You're very that, zen about it. You have yeah, a sort of uh, <laughs> Patrick Dubois smile yeah, but on your face. I think in in the open space we had about it, and I think that was kind of there's going to be people who will amplify the message and will invest to it heavily. And that makes uh, it hard for them. That to, that makes it hard for them, but also valuable for them.
6: Mm-hmm.
5: I'm always being a learner, and I'm just like perpetual learner. And it's not that I don't care about it, but maybe like Sasha, you know, you continue like, like expanding your thoughts. And so that's why I'm like probably sad about it because the value for me of DevOps days has never been in money, but in ideas for me.
0: So next five years, you think we'll sp- still be doing DevOps days in five years? Uh,
5: you have a, one of those glass balls. The eight balls, <laughs> the little, <low>, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> Outlook hazy. Yes, for well, sure. You know,
5: the beauty is there was never a plan. So the future is also not planned. And that sounds like if you believe in people in a way, then there will be new things and there will be good. So you know, it, again, sounds it That's his end quote. Yeah. <laughs> it's, well, it's,
0: it's funny. It sounds to me like you're kind of saying, you know, open spaces have always been a real big part of DevOps days. And one of those things is like whoever was there and whatever happened was, was what was supposed to happen. And when you're not learning anything, you should leave. Yeah and so maybe DevOps days will be similar where whatever happens yeah. is supposed to happen and when, it not enough, when it, there's not a quorum or enough people to yeah. have it going. It's then also
5: the belief that everybody does something with a good intent but the result of that intent might not be good for somebody else. But, you know, it could be different things. I want to have a career so I can feed my family or, you know, whatever. <laughs> like, I want to keep my job because, you know, I'm bad at learning. I mean, like, yeah, you know, that's good because you're trying to help your family but it might not have a good effect on like your coworkers right but, so does it make it wrong or right i, I don't like to <laughs> <laughs> you're
0: yeah it's like all of that philosophy that you read is yeah. is you know you you're asking big questions now you know? <laughs> yeah. I, wanted, I tweeted this, but I wanted to call it out specifically. I wanted to thank Bridget and all of the DevOps Days Minneapolis organizers because you actually put lunch at a lunching hour. Um, <laughs> I, went, I went and looked at the schedules for the other DevOps Days, and I, don't, I think the schedule kind of just got copied over the years. But a lot of the lunches are like at one. And if you show up, like I do perpetually late, so you get that you know, 8.55 cup of coffee and then go and see the, the opening keynote, you're sitting there jittery for four hours. That was not the case. You had lunch at like noon at 11.50, and I was a happy DevOps camper. Um, So thank you for doing that.
2: Welcome, yeah, we we didn't stay perfectly on schedule the entire time, but we were pretty close. And I did put a lot of thought into the schedule because I really hate when I go to a conference and the talks are fantastic, and then there's one after another after another, and I drink way too much water and or coffee, and then I realized that there's three more talks before I can go to the bathroom. Um, And so I did try to put a reasonable amount of breaks in there. Good. And Thank you for uh, that. Yeah. And it, was. it also, I really think that you can, it's always lossy. You, go, you can always lose people at breaks. You can always lose people at lunch. And I wanted to make sure that there was something to come back for after lunch. Even if somebody was afraid of open space, maybe that little bit to get them over the, I stayed for the second half. So putting the Ignites after lunch, I think, it gave people something fun and cool to come mm-hmm. see in the main auditorium, and then we launched them right into the open space planning, so you couldn't easily escape it. <laughs>
0: yeah, I also wanted to call out actually the fun event. So normally there's a, you know, it's a two-day event, so that evening there's there's a fun event. This is one of the better fun events I've been to. You had the you had the trivia with real prizes. You had some like I I think Velocity is something like fifteen hundred dollars for a ticket. So real prizes and actually a shout real shout to our
2: sponsors. Thank you so much to O'Reilly Media and VelocityConf yeah. for providing yeah. and Chef and Nagios and yeah providing fantastic prizes
0: yeah and and then the the people you had doing the the trivia were like a group of people that like know how to run trivia. So it was actually fun. <laughs> uh, they had the music thing and they had all that and I I the thing I loved it, if you've ever done like bar trivia you usually there's a, identify these photos all of the photos were O'Reilly books and you had to pick the animals <laughs> so on it the turns butt. out Ben and
6: I are really bad at identifying them. yes <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. you that picture of your
2: scorecard where you were, it was like fail fail,
0: fail. <laughs> it's okay to fail in devops though we um,
2: have a postmortem yeah. don't worry it's,
0: yeah and then you know there were there was beer and like really good minneapolis beer um, food, truck. food truck ice cream i had all of that and now i'm mm-hmm. fat <laughs> um i want to ask uh so when is devops days minneapolis 2.0 well, there's got to be we, one. We
2: plan on having a, a postmortem, a blameless postmortem, about this event with the organizers, and we'll we'll talk, and hopefully we'll get something arranged. I actually got some valuable feedback during the event from attendees, and I'm really glad that we're in a culture where people can give each other feedback.
0: Uh, there <laughs> wasn't. it? There was lawn games and the trivia yeah. and stuff like that. But
2: I, I did want to bring that up because even though, of course, some people do drink and enjoy alcohol. There were other people there who choose to not drink alcohol who, some of whom were winners of the trivia. So maybe they were onto something might there. Might be a <laughs> there. Yeah. <laughs> totally. yeah. But uh, I really wanted, I was actually really happy to see that one of our locals who could not make it because of lack of childcare, I said, you know what? Just bring your seven-year-old. Let her sit there and play Minecraft. You want to come to the event? That's fine. We'll get your kids some ice cream. She can yeah. wear my badge. You know mm-hmm. so I tried at least to have an event that would make sure everyone had something for them there. Right. Next time, if we do it next time, when we do it next time, We'll try to make sure to emphasize that the beer is strictly optional. <laughs> we're not going to force feed
0: you the delicious beer. <laughs> these more, craft beer? more
2: for the rest of us. <laughs> yeah. 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 But yeah, and shout out to, to World Street Kitchen and Sweet Science Ice Cream and Trivia Mafia, who, as you intuited, are actually a thing. They yeah. have a giant trivia empire and runs in dozens and dozens of bars around town. Here.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they were good. They, were, they certainly had the voice for trivia. You know, the, the, uh, Yeah, yeah. So yes, we'll be looking for, follow, uh, is it DevOps Days MSB? on Twitter
2: if you want to know yeah if
0: you want to know when it is you should follow them now before you forget you
2: will be the first to find out if you are either following DevOps days MSP on Twitter or there is the DevOps days Google group for newsletter mailing list, whatever
0: yeah perfect all right so and we'll put a link to that in the show notes so uh Heather Ross Catherine Patrick and Bridget thanks for joining us here on the ship show and uh we'll look forward to next year great and we will be back in a moment on the ship show all right welcome back to the chip show so for our end segment of this evening we're doing devops dear abby again we haven't done it for a while but we got a couple of dear abby questions over the tweets and the emails so we are going to talk about those so our first DevOps here, Abby, is via email from uh, Booker Bentz. Booker asks, how do I stop being the Brent in my organization? And for those of you who don't get the reference, Brent is the guy in the Phoenix Project who is kind of the linchpin of the entire team, and everybody asks him for help, and he always is like, I will fix the problem, and he knows about all the systems, and so he is always sort of the uh, linchpin uh, solution to every single problem that the team has. So, Seth, how can Booker stop being
1: Brent in his organization? You say no you say no you no you say no for the good of the organization you start implementing policies or processes that ensure that you aren't the single point of failure Just basically basically start to spread the responsibility around and, and bring visibility up and when things break, have things break visibly and don't be a hero so that people realize you are a single point of failure. They will not learn until you force them to learn. EJ.
4: I think you take a couple people or a person, people, one person, under your wing and teach them and then, you know, scale horizontally.
3: Pete. So I I guess I'm going to give the answer that probably is related to my recent quitting and, you know, not working, (laughs) which is quit, honestly. Like, (laughs) uh, here's my reason behind quitting. Because, life pro tip
1: <laughs> yeah life
3: pro tip quit um, because here's the deal if you don't have like the proper management that can help like if, so if you're raising your hand and saying like I need help I need support whatever and you're kind of making yourselves available to do the training and stuff and you don't have the right management support it's just never gonna happen so it's best just to extract yourself from a bad place and you know what market's crazy there's a lot of other great opportunities out there that don't involve you being kind of that single point of failure so yeah just yeah. Yeah. Just, so uh,
0: I would say, so I have been Brent in a couple of situations and I would say, first of all, you need to be very clear that you are Brent. You, you need to understand kind of that you're in that situation and you need to be willing to not be Brent. I know a lot of times I worked Fridays and weekends because I was like, well, if I don't do it, nobody else will. And I I have to be that guy. And so I think actually the other advice is spot on, but you're not going to be able to do that if you don't realize you have to kind of be aware that you're the brand. And then I would say uh, talking to your management about that, and and maybe kind of refusing to be like, you know, I had plans, and I'm sorry, and maybe we need to do some cross training. Depending if you're if you don't like Pete's quit suggestion, <laughs> you you know you can do it subversively by just when there's a situation that somebody says. Hey, I need you to do this. You can be like, nope, so and so is going to drive, and I will be there with them to help, but they're going to drive the console and we'll debug that problem together. And it may take a little longer, but you know, if you're Brent, you can just tell people to kind of shut up and, and deal. But uh, like I said, I've been in that situation, and it reminds me of that old SNL sketch, I think from like the late 90s, where it was the IT guy and he would just go move every time and fix the problem. I was prone to doing that. So if you are prone to doing that, you need to stop doing that. And that's a Thing you have to deal with yourself. Um, so that's how I would do that. Second question for DevOps Theorem Matt Stratton, who's a co host over at Arrested DevOps, asks What's the best way for us to start taking back the term DevOps
3: from all the marketing speak, Pete? Oh man, just let them have it. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> let's be honest when it comes to buzz terms. Like You're tapping out. Yeah, I mean, if, if it sounds good, if it sounds like someone can make money at it, like, marketing's gonna market. Like, what are you gonna do? Um, <laughs> because market.
1: marketers are gonna market.
3: Marketers are gonna market. <laughs> but they do it because it works. Like, as absolute crazy as it sounds, it works. Like, if it didn't work, they wouldn't, they wouldn't <laughs> they do, do it, it right? Yeah. So, it's cool, though. We're gonna let them have it, and I, I'm gonna come up with crazy buzz terms in my new job and it's probably going to anger people but the end of the day is that (laughs) it works for a certain market of people but I think the best line ever is Patrick Dubois said on Twitter of I can't wait for the marketers to get freaked out when we change what DevOps is. And I think what we change it to, <laughs> I think what we change it to is it's just common sense. Like, you know, we don't do DevOps. We, we do all the stuff that is absolute common sense at this point. Like, it's been five years of this. If you're not doing a DevOps methodology in your business, you're obviously doing it wrong. So we just call it common sense now. That's that's the way you take it back.
4: All right, EJ. There's a pretty good uh, chef... South Park rant on the flippity-floppity flu that we're talking about here, but, uh, yeah, I I don't know. I don't think we take this back. I think we jettison and run. Like, burn, you know, nuke it from orbit, and let's pick something else. The, the strange thing is, like, it's caught on. Like Pete was saying, like, it's become sort of industry standard, and I just got a black eye from one of our co-hosts about saying we're looking for a Debopsy position, uh, but it's true. It sort of um, describes what we're looking for here, but, uh, yeah, I, I think we just cut and run.
1: Seth? It really depends how much you're paying me. That's basically that's you can call it whatever the hell you want and and I don't really care if it's making you money then sure like and marketing (laughs) likes it I don't like it I've thought of writing a talk recently about just like can we really stop with the DevOps because I. I, I try not to even say the word anymore. I try to avoid it at all costs, just because it's become so farcical at this point. But I feel like that's the natural progress of most terms like that. So I mean, agile now. I don't think anyone says without like seething bitterness in their voice. So it is what it is. I, I, I'm kind of of the mind that we we do jettison it. I don't want us to. I, I don't think there's a new term to be picked. I think the that Pete's like it's common sense. Is like that's how I've, I've thought of it for ages. Is just it's this is just a better way to do things. We don't have to call it something, but people like to call things things. So, Matt, uh, this is what
0: I would say. Uh, You host a podcast called Arrested DevOps. Change it to Arrested Ops Dev and lead the charge. Uh, (laughs) But (laughs) seriously, though, uh, so the thing – Arrested, wah, wah. Yeah, (laughs) flippity, floppity, floop. Arrested, Uh, redacted. Yeah, exactly. But what I would say is the marketing people, to Pete's point, marketing people are going to market, but what are they marketing? They are all marketing tools. So many talks are on culture. In fact, I, I love giving culture talks because it's, you know, culture is about people and I love talking about that topic because people are more interested in banging your head against Windows or JavaScript or whatever random new technology that the 20-somethings are ranting and raving about. So...
1: Kids in their newfangled windows. Right, because...
0: Humans are both awesome and sucky in similar ways, and have been for millennia. So that's not changing on a time scale every five years. Uh, but seriously, though, I think a lot of the marketing, you know, the the stuff that's been sort of stolen from us and used in the marketing speed is talking about tools and particular workflows. And people kind of roll their eyes, and especially when you talk about kind of enterprise DevOps, they don't want to talk about culture because you can't really sell that, and it's hard to change. So I think we we need to keep talking about the culture that's not gonna wrestle it away from the marketers but it I think will at least provide the appropriate contrast that they may be marketing about tools and workflows and that's fine, but you still need that other component to be successful. And that's just actually what I say. If you think you're going to, and, and, and we've all talked about, you know, discussed that on this podcast before about if you think you're going to buy a tool and be successful with the DevOps, which I actually heard someone give an entire presentation. with uh, somebody from IBM referred to it for an entire half hour as the DevOps non ironically, um, you just need to make sure you include the culture part. So we've got a bunch – like we are firmly entering conference season. In fact, I know I'm going to get to see you I think next week, Pete. Uh, don't say Orlando in the summertime because we all know it's going to be a, a, a nice, balmy, warm whatever – but we did want to mention a bunch of DevOps Days coming up. So DevOps days actually Boston in your neck of the woods, Pete, uh, and EJ, August 18th and 19th. Yeah, it should be a good uh, event. Pretty-
5: so
3: if, if anyone's in the Boston or New York or whatever, just come on up. It's going to be at the the Nerd Center, which is the like New England research development, maybe? It's like a Microsoft-sponsored Yeah, Microsoft location. Nerd Center. Yeah, yeah it, it's, it's a fantastic location. Monitorama was there, and the last DevOps Days, Boston was there. So, cool. Yeah. And you I'll bet there.
0: you, speaking of uh, Matt, DevOps Day Chicago is happening October 7th and 8th. And then also, I guess since Germany won the World Cup, they're having a DevOps Days there in Berlin uh, in October. And then, of course, in Belgium also uh, the week after. So you could actually go to DevOps Days Berlin and then just go a little further to uh, DevOps Days Belgium which is the fifth anniversary, so it's going to be a big party down there. We also mentioned FlowCon uh, in September. Uh, Atlassian Summit is actually also in September, September 9th through the 11th. I will actually be speaking there on various continuous Continuous star things, continuous integration, delivery, deployment, funness. And then, of course, we mentioned PuppetConf and Velocity in New York. Show notes will have uh, links to all of the, the goodness there. And you can check that out if you're wanting to figure out how to wrestle DevOps back from the marketers. So we'd like to thank our friends at PagerDuty for sponsoring this episode.
3: And from New York, this is Paul Reed signing off. From Boston, Massachusetts, Pete signing off.
4: From Cambridge, Massachusetts. It's EJ signing off.
3: And from Seattle, Washington, this
0: is Seth signing off. And we will see you all in a couple of weeks.